The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs who would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed. So that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts Be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In case uh, we hadn't noticed from our readings this morning, as well as uh, our readings from last week, I think we may be in a season where God is calling us to uh, wrestle with our relationship with material wealth and possessions. It's also, I think, a season, perhaps in our uh, common life in the Commonwealth, where we're being asked to uh, think what we think about uh, the way we finance our deficit uh, in terms of gambling and things like that. So this week in particular, as I was preparing these texts, I was very much aware of the presence of money and the justice issues around money uh, that we face as Christian people. And as I was preparing, I stumbled on this website that some of you may have come across before uh, called the Global Rich List. Have any of you seen that before? The Global Rich List? Well, there's a little, if you go there, I forget what the website is exactly called, but if you go there, there's a little calculator on the computer screen that asks you for what you make. And uh, after you type in the numbers, this little calculator comes up with a graphic representation of where you fall into um, the wealth scheme out of the entire planet. Out of six, out of six billion people, where you fall uh, in the uh, income standing. 
So just for fun, I typed in what a priest and teacher I know earn in a year. (laughs) Out of six billion people in the world, my family is in the top 0.4% of earners globally. That's four-tenths of one percent. And then some of us said, wow, that's something. And then I went on to uh, list some of the choices that come into stark relief when we realize in the developing world where we are in terms of income. For example, $8 could buy me 15 organic apples. Has anybody here ever been to Idlewild Market? I think $8 might be a bit low for 15 organic apples. Anyway, 18, uh, 15 organic apples for $8 or 25 fruit trees for farmers in Honduras to grow and sell fruit at their local market. Four, $30. Any of you ever watched the series ER? Did you enjoy it? A lot of us did. Well, for $30, you can get the DVD boxed set or you can get a first aid kit for a village in Haiti. I don't know the exact issue, but this is the kind of choices that this website was setting out. Or, how many of you have the latest model mobile phone? Mobile phone that does all the dancing and bells and whistles, can walk your dog, you know, it does everything for you. You can get a mobile phone for $73 or a new mobile health clinic to care for AIDS orphans in Uganda. We're fortunate, actually, in our diocese, the Episcopal Diocese in Massachusetts, we're doing a lot of work with AIDS orphans in Tanzania. Tanzania. Or finally, sort of the icing on the cake, this website said, if you've got $2,400 to spare, $2,400, if you really have to have the latest high-definition TV, you could get it. Or you could pay for schooling for an entire generation of school children in a village in Angola. Those are some of the choices we might make. Well, of course, simply being citizens in the richest nation in the history of the planet means that the chances are good that any one of us will be vastly wealthier, that all of us actually, would be vastly wealthier than 99.99% of people in the world. But the fact is, if we kind of step back and look at it in a more complex way, um, none of us lives in those places where people are really poor, close by anyway. We live in one of the most expensive areas in the world, where I don't need to remind you, the cost of living is very high. And there are those among us whose active earning years are behind us and maybe on fixed incomes, or those who've moved here from other parts of the country, or those of us who have kids that we're trying to put through college, or those of us who may have been laid off and don't have a job and are looking for work, or those of us who may have simply been called into modestly paying professions. The fact is, is that we do feel a pinch. And however we might be uh, relative to other uh, people around the globe, we feel the pinch. So what principles can we use to help us approach the generosity that God asks us implicitly to do in these lessons? Well, here's where I found some comfort and some guidance, even as I know that I am one of the richest people in the world. 
the great 18th century preacher and founder of what became the Methodist Church, John Wesley, uh, had some words to say about this. And actually we need to remember that John Wesley preached mostly to poor people. He was uh, rode on his horse around the Appalachians and poor areas uh, in the uh, rural part of this country in this 18th century. And most of what most of the people he preached to were people of very modest circumstances. This is what he said. Provide whatever is needful for yourself and your household, whatever nature moderately requires for preserving them in health and strength. So start those closest to you. Second, then provide for the household of faith, the church. Then do good unto all people. So starting with ourselves and the closest commitments that we have, it's our calling, our gospel calling to provide for those closest to us and then moving outward to give. Now that still, I think, makes it important for us, we're called, it's critical, that we ponder the difference in our personal lives between needs and wants. To contemplate the difference between being kind to oneself and being self-indulgent. So I think our lessons this morning do talk about how we spend our money, what we do with our money. But I think there's something deeper going on here as well. It's not just about money, although it is about money. At this point, to kind of illustrate this point, I want to invite us into a little congregational participation just to liven things up a bit. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of us have driven out of Boston going west on Route 2? Okay. I'm a, you know, a lot. Okay. How many of us, as we have driven, have been leaving Cambridge and have come to that crazy intersection in Alewife next to the T-stop where you're not sure which way to go, whether you're, you know, whether you're going to Somerville or Medford or if you make the wrong turn or where do you stop there and can you go through the green light? Is it that guy's green light or not green light? How many of us have actually found ourselves stopped at the stoplight there? And how many of us have sat there in our cars, windows rolled up, if it's really hot, we've got our air conditioners blasting. If it's really cold, we've got our heat blasting. And we find ourselves hoping that the lights will change very soon. Because here comes a woman or a man with a sign that says, I'm homeless. Or I'm a veteran. I need help. How many of us have breathed a sigh of relief when the light changes and we can go on our way back out to the suburbs where it's safe? There's nobody at our gate begging for our attention. Lazarus lay at the gate. The danger is that wealth 
isolates us in real, earthy, fleshy ways from other human beings, especially other human beings who suffer. To what extent, we have to ask ourselves, do our possessions and our attitudes towards money separate ourselves, separate us from other human beings? Do our possessions and our attitudes towards money draw us closer to people? Or do we find that we can use them as buffers, as barriers, as walls? For in the end, as we look at the gospel story in Luke, it's what the rich man's wealth does to his humanity, the way that it separates him from his fellow human beings that leads to death. He allows his wealth to separate him from his fellow human beings. It's not his wealth per se. As Wesley says in one of his sermons, it is no more sinful to be wealthy than poor, but it is dangerous beyond all expression. Not once does the rich man see Lazarus as a human being. Lazarus is totally ignored by the rich man while he is alive. And only after his death does the rich man acknowledge Lazarus' existence. But even then, only as a tool for meeting his own desires. And even then, the rich man never addresses Lazarus directly. He says to Abraham, tell Lazarus to get me a drink. I'm burning up here. Tell Lazarus to go warn my brothers. Merely as a tool. The rich man and his wealth, the rich, rich man's wealth, blinds him to the humanity and the needs and the cries of humanity. And I might add even to the needs and cries of his own soul. We need constantly to be attentive to the danger of the affliction of isolation. We isolate ourselves from the poor, particularly from the poor and the suffering. Without a doubt, we have to work at bridging this gap. It's very hard for us in the suburbs to do that. I suggest a couple, two tiny possibilities. One is to try to bridge this gap where we actually have face-to-face -face contact with people who are poor and suffering. Is to come to the open meeting that Tony is uh, going to lead in a couple of weeks, October 21st, October 21st, after this service, to look at the ways that we as a parish can get involved in hands-on outreach. We'll have a chance to discuss what are the ways that we can really come face-to-face, -face, that we can bridge the isolation that we build around ourselves, that we can get across the walls that we lift up. Now, there are those among us for whom uh, hands-on outreach of the kind that is traditionally thought as, of, as outreach, you know, going on a mission trip or uh, driving somewhere to do a soup kitchen or going to the Gulf Coast to build houses. It's not going to work for everybody. You know, we all have our physical constraints um, and other kinds of uh, limitations. But we can still work to be aware of the ways that we isolate and distance ourselves from one another, particularly those who suffer. 
We don't need to go to a soup kitchen. We don't need to go to the Gulf Coast to reach across a chasm to someone who is suffering in isolation. I think this parable, in the last analysis, Jesus is telling us, if we choose isolation, we are choosing our own death. In rejecting the other, in ignoring the suffering that is around us, in staying, staying at an arm's length from those who need our care, who beg for our attention, we reject God. We're not just rejecting the other, we are rejecting God. And that, surely, is death. Amen.